Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brand. The overturning of Roe v. Wade is causing a crisis for U.S. women looking for access to safe reproductive health care beyond just abortion services. WISP is at the center of the storm. The telehealth startup, which launched in 2018 to provide easy, safe access to virtual reproductive health services, is on a mission to educate women across the country about how to access care while destigmatizing common female health issues. Monica Sipak joined as CMO just as the Supreme Court revoked the constitutional right to abortion and states began banning the procedure. It's been a constant effort to adjust, adapt, and accelerate plans to keep up with the changing situation. Just this week, WISP rolled out telehealth abortion access in California, which will soon be available in New York, Illinois, and Colorado. CPAC spoke with Campaign US about her first few months on the job, how she's navigating changing regulations and data privacy concerns for marketing its services, and how WISP is destigmatizing issues in women's health. I'm your host, Allison Weisbrot, editor of Campaign US, and you're listening to Campaign Chemistry. Hi, Monica. How are you? Good. How are you, Allison? Great to meet you. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining me today. So, Obviously, it's a super dynamic time right now for for the industry that you're in. Talk to me a little bit about what is WISP? How does it work? What problem are you trying to solve in the healthcare space? Sure. So WISP launched not too long ago, actually, in 2018 with a very simple mission. And that mission is to make sexual healthcare more inclusive, more cost-effective, and ultimately more accessible for everyone. Um, So we saw a really big gap in the healthcare system when it comes to treating intimate issues such as UTIs, yeast infections, herpes, bacterial vaginosis, which affects anywhere from like one in three to one in four women, and felt that there was a better way to experience care. And so what we offer is same-day treatment for a lot of these common issues. And and women are are actually able to, in most cases, pick up their prescription from their pharmacy of choice in a matter of hours, in in less than three in most cases. We also offer free delivery for um, many of these, these medications as well. And so our mission is to not only deliver better care, but also to help destigmatize the space and help people have conversations around their sexual and reproductive health care. Yeah, I think um, destigmatize is a really is is really the word, right? Because these are sort of things that are super, super common, but people don't talk about them. It's yeah. shameful, it's embarrassing, whatever the whatever sort of society makes you feel about it. So talk about like now we're in this sort of context, right, where sexual reproductive health, women's health care is just so more important than ever right now. We had Roe v. Wade was overturned. There are tons of laws either being voted on or passed across the country to restrict reproductive health care. You only joined this company a few months ago, right? So talk about what it was like for you joining this company at this time. How did you navigate that? Yeah. So I joined WISP as CMO two and a half months ago now. And within a few weeks, we were really tasked with responding to the news that Roe v. Wade was overturned. And from a marketing leader's perspective, it could not have been a more important mission at a more important time. We jumped in pretty quickly to help educate our patients on our birth control and emergency contraception 
product lines more specifically. And then as a business, actually accelerated the launch of our medical abortion service, which we just launched yesterday in the state of California with plans to expand in New York, Colorado, and Illinois by the end of this quarter. And so we felt that it was really important to get to market faster so that we could help address many of those access issues. And, you know, it's it's been a, a bit of a roller coaster for everyone involved, quite frankly, because every day it feels like there's a new development that we're responding to. And, you know, as a company, it's it's important for us to, to sort of always have a finger on the pulse of how we can be giving back in, in more meaningful ways. And so an example of that, in response to the news, we announced that we're actually donating 1% of our proceeds from all birth control and emergency contraception sales to Psychus, um, which is an organization that we've partnered with over the past year, stands for Sex Ad for Social Change, as well as NYBCAP, our New York Birth Control Access Project. And so we're we're running that campaign through the end of the month, really in, in an effort to improve and increase access and education around sexual health. So talk about the the medical abortion services. That's really it's a big move for a company, right? I mean, I know that WISP is at the at the center of these issues and your whole the mission is to provide access to reproductive health care. So, but it's still, it's a bold statement. So talk about, first of all, talk about like what it is, like how can patients access this service? And second of all, maybe bring us behind the scenes a little to the thought process of getting this live. Yeah, I think it ultimately comes down to staying true to our mission. And we fundamentally believe that abortion access is healthcare. And sort of in that vein, we went to market with an end-to-end medical abortion service priced at $200, which is the most affordable offering on the the market today in the U.S., which is about 30% cheaper than alternatives. And that was really important to us to ensure that we were reaching as many people as possible and, and did that through our pricing. We... We also offer 24-7 care as part of our service because we believe that the sort of extension of a connection to a medical provider is really important at a particularly sensitive time for, for women as they consider having an abortion. And we are only, however, offering abortion pills 10 weeks or less in accordance with FDA approval and are only operating and will only continue to operate in states where telehealth abortion is in fact legal. So talk about like when you, you know, you came in, you were this new CMO at this company. What was that like for you personally? Was there a lot of pivoting plans? Like what was sort of some of the real time sort of shifts you had to make to, to put this together? Yeah, there was a lot of um, real-time decision-making. Um, I think as a business, internally, we knew that we wanted to take a bold stance. Um, but how bold was a topic of conversation. And I think that was part of my job in coming into this role is to align all of our internal stakeholders on how we were going to position ourselves through this incredibly important product launch. You know, there are a lot of sensitivities, so you can imagine, um, 
also from a legal standpoint. And so we we worked with our agency partners, Kaplow, from a PR perspective, as well as a number of our other paid channel partners. So there are very real considerations when it comes to data and privacy. So for example, on AdWords, we wanted to, to ensure that we were keeping patients' privacy um, in mind as we went to market, ultimately trying to reach as many people as possible, but um, didn't want to compromise their privacy. So we actually turned off all marketing tracking on our landing page, um, which was also a conversation with the data team that we, we had to, to spearhead. And so it's still an evolving sort of campaign. We launched yesterday the Newswire, also internally through a lot of our organic channels, turned on our AdWords campaign, and then we'll be continuing to, to really lean into awareness and education through some of our, our influencer partners and have also been in discussions with Outfront and the MTA um, when we launch here in New York to see if we could do a wider campaign um, that's more specific to the New York market. Yeah. So you mentioned data privacy. This is a huge issue we've been looking into at, at campaign. And I think, honestly, like the whole the whole world is thinking about this. But um, there are real risks, right? Like when you're advertising around this type of service that people in, in restricted states could potentially get, you know, arrested or or there could be consequences, right? So talk about, you said you turned off marketing tracking, but what other like considerations do you have to keep in mind just based on the sensitivity of the of the category and, and the way it's changing all the time? Yeah, so for example, shipping, right? We, we can't ship to PO boxes. We have to be careful to only ship to an address in the state where telehealth abortion is in fact legal. So that's one. We also have to take our doctor's privacy into account. So in many cases, that's been a challenge from a marketing perspective because many of our medical providers actually live and reside in red states. And so they don't feel comfortable sort of being the public face of an important launch like this because their own family safety is at risk. And so that's something that we've come up against as well and are navigating Right, because that that medical voice is important, but we also have to sort of take into account our own medical providers' perspective on safety and privacy, because they their licenses could you know in many cases they're licensed in all fifty states and their licenses can be at risk. Yeah, how difficult is it? Like, I know that you know. Well, first of all, where where are these services legal right now? So. For us, we are operating in California at the moment, and we'll be launching in New York, Colorado, and Illinois, and there are a number of other states in the U.S. that I'm happy to follow up. There's like a real-time map um, as things change that, that sort of help inform sort of the latest in, in terms of where things are legal, because even... Even from an emergency contraception or, or birth control standpoint, like many pharmacies across the country are, are starting to limit access. Um, so it's not just medical abortion. It really is the whole category and reproductive rights at large, which is why the work we're doing is so important, because we're offering women a better alternative to getting the care they need. Right. I, I was going to ask about like how these changes in different states impact your business overall, like not just the medical abortion services that you just launched, because there are states that are restricting 
different abortion pills and talking about restricting birth control and things like that. So how do you sort of take like, it's very difficult to operate in like that, this sort of patchwork environment as a marketer, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's different regulations you have to follow. Like, how are you sort of keeping track of everything and doing what you can where you can while doing as much as you can everywhere else? Yeah. So we take it day by day. As, as you know, things evolve very quickly. Um, internally, we sort of have a, a weekly touch base where as a marketing team, we look at the landscape of, of evolving developments and adjust our paid marketing efforts accordingly. So if there's a market that we feel is at risk, maybe we'll push a little harder to help inform women that they have the option of like potentially stocking up on emergency contraception, which is what we saw immediately following the Roe v. Wade news. We saw like an incredible uh, spike in demand month over month for emergency contraception in particular and birth control. And so it's we take it week by week, but to your point, you know, we, we have to be nimble and, and pivot and really just have a finger on the pulse always of, of what the latest developments are. And it makes our job as marketers more challenging, but also that much more rewarding because we're able to move quickly and sort of um, step in to address those access needs in real time. Right. So in those markets where things are getting more restricted, are you finding that, you know, arguably there's more of a need to market your services there, right? To show like you can get access to these things, you can stock up on contraception, whatever it is. So like, how do you balance that, you know, the need to educate, the need to talk to these people with the potential like privacy violation issues, tracking issues that go along with with digital advertising? Yeah. So... Our patients' privacy is like of utmost importance. And so we will always err on the side of caution when it comes to privacy. Um, but at the same time, help educate through some of our more organic channels, whether it's social, email, and really just reach as many women at that important point of consideration with privacy sort of always at the, the forefront of of how we're thinking about targeting. Quite frankly, it's an evolving issue. Many healthcare brands, women's healthcare brands in particular, are grappling with this today, but we've taken the approach of erring on the side of, of caution and turning off tracking whenever we feel like um, our patients' privacy could be at risk. And yes, that means like, you know, we'll lose the performance data, but it's more important to really just like lean into privacy. Like for example, with our medical abortion launch, the usual, right, AdWords optimizations, like that's not even top of mind for us. Like for us, it's about getting this product to market from an access standpoint. Like we're not thinking about it as like a revenue optimization opportunity. Right. It's like an emergency service that people need that you can offer. Exactly. Yeah. So how how big of an issue? Because, you know, obviously in, in like these advertising marketing circles, like we, we latch on to these stories about like data privacy and like the risks. How big of a risk mm-hmm. do you think this is going to be? Like I already saw a story today about Facebook handed over direct messages to court in Nebraska for a, a case prosecuting a young girl for an abortion. Like these things are already starting to happen. Do you see this being a big issue in the future? Yeah, uh, unfortunately I do. I think that's why we have to be extra careful in, in how we market because 
every day you hear more and more stories like this, right? And it's unfortunate, but it's also reality. And so we, um, as a, a marketing team and as a business, are are thinking about it daily. It's it's always top of mind um, because you just don't know how how um, how strict certain states will be. Like this is an evolving <laughs> issue for everyone involved, um, and so we're taking it day by day. Yeah, um, I guess you know how do you kind of. Obviously, you're operating in a very fluid environment right now. So how are you planning for the next few months? Like, how what are you thinking about in terms of your future marketing mm-hmm. efforts? Where are you putting your budgets? Like, how are you keeping that flexible so that you can respond to the evolving situation? Yeah, so we're planning now through the end of the year. Something that's been a priority for me is, is really investing in you know, top of funnel channels. So we just launched CTV about a month ago um, in an effort to, again, really educate people on the value of services like Lisp. Um, and the response has been tremendous. So we saw uh, an average daily sales growth of about like 13%, increasing site traffic of 25% compared to the previous period. Um, saw a nice bump um, on Instagram reach. That grew by about... 20% compared to the previous period. And so it's a balance between bottom of the funnel optimizations and really investing as a business in awareness because more than ever, that awareness play is so critical to really just helping to educate people that there is a better way to experience healthcare and that's through telemedicine. And so it's it's a fine balance between the two. We're also working on a big back to school campaign. We'll be working with student organizations to similarly help destigmatize conversations around sexual health and, and really educate people early in their sexual health journey um, on safe sex and on safe private <laughs> alternatives to um, getting treatment for things like STIs, UTIs, herpes, yeast infections. And through the end of the year, we'll, we'll also be putting together a number of like end of year promos, whether it's for, for Black Friday or FSA and HSA, reminding people that they can actually use their FSA HSA dollars for a service like Lisp. We don't currently take insurance, but are also working on that more long term to um, unlock further access for individuals who want to use their insurance. But we we really started out as a business to help address access for people who maybe didn't have insurance. And so we're fully cash paying. Mm. It's really interesting that you bring up just like getting, educating people early. Mm -hmm. I feel like in a lot of ways, like the sex ed courses in our country or the approach is just like fails kids so much in this area. Like what does that say when like sort of like a brand and, and like a marketer needs to step in and give that education. Are you hoping to maybe like influence that agenda a little bit? Yeah. I mean, totally. Right. Like I think we can all agree that sex ed um, in our country has been antiquated for far too long. We need to, to change the conversation and, and reach students in a new relevant way. And it's by 
being humble in that conversation and really leaning into destigmatization that we're hoping will be will be well positioned to have those conversations. Working, you know, we'll we'll do some AMAs with some of our medical advisors, also looping in our influencer network, right? So that so the conversation feels more like a conversation and not being like talked down to, which I think has been the experience. For most women growing up in this country, I know for me, that definitely was my experience. And so we're trying to change that. Um, so our campaign is actually called hashtag say vagina. Um, because we want to, <laughs> yeah, we want to encourage people to just say vagina. If you can't even say the word, like, how are we going to even begin on our, um, quest to destigmatize the space? So you'll be seeing a lot of um, those activations in a number of markets. We'll be activating in New York, New Jersey, Boston, and Philly initially. And then next year, hoping to also lean in a bit harder across a number of additional states. So that's that's like a very like relatable, almost cheeky kind of approach to what you would typically see from a health marketer, right? So talk about your creative approach. Like what's the tone of voice you're trying to take? Like how are you educating people? And what are some of the like visual elements you're using for that? So I'd say we we definitely don't shy away from a more bold approach to marketing. Our tone of voice is comedic in, in many instances because we feel that's like a way that we can help people relate to a lot of the stigma that they've experienced around sexual health in their past. So for example, the CTV campaign that I mentioned, we actually worked with two influencers, Steph Barkley and Jeff or Chase Jolier of Two Socks Creative and sort of created this like clueless father figure that we call Bill. And like Bill grew up with six sisters. He now has three daughters of his own and um, is, is sort of, navigating um, his inner femininity and is is helping just in his own family unit really advocate for sexual health. And and so I can I can follow up with the creative. It is hilarious. And I think that's also a testament to why we've been seeing such strong early results in CTV. Um, our agency, our partner TV Scientific, quite frankly, was surprised to see the the traction we got, but it's a testament to our our strong creative and and we've produced it all in-house. You know, we didn't want to take an overly like produced approach to our creative. We really felt that it was important to be conversational. Um, And what we often say is like, we want to be like your older sister. So the conversation that you would have with an older sister is the relationship we want to have with our patients. I like that. You mentioned that you work with influencers quite a bit. So talk about that strategy and how that helps you like convey this message of like being a big sister, being relatable. Yeah. So um, influencers are a big piece of our marketing strategy. And we've found our influencer network to be a really effective way to scale nationally and have partnered with like-minded individuals who who are bold in their approach to sexual health. And so we haven't shied away from sort of, you know, in some cases, (laughs) controversial content. Um, For example, if you look on our TikTok, you'll see like certain influencers talking about discharge and the different types of discharge. And so that might feel 
uncomfortable to some, but it's really important to to have those conversations and to like have them publicly because if we can't, then like they're going to stay behind closed doors um, and women are going to continue not getting the treatment that they need. So influencers are a really big piece of our marketing strategy. Yeah, I mean you can't destigmatize something that no one can even talk about. Talk about, yeah. So I mean on that front, there. There's so many beyond just abortion. There's a ton of issues right now. Anything about sexual health can be stigmatized, but there's monkeypox right now as an issue. Like, are you addressing that at all as a brand? And and how do you navigate that topic, which is even more nuanced in its own way? Yeah, we haven't directly addressed monkeypox as a business. I think like we're staying true to our our core product suite for now, but I think participating in conversations around stigma um, will always be core to our brand. So, you know, if there was an opportunity to partner with another brand to help do that, I could see us um, exploring maybe like a social partnership or something like that. Yeah. And as you have these conversations online, you educate people, like how do you deal with misinformation? Because there's just so much out there, especially on these polarizing topics. It's honestly a... A daily crusade. Um, we over-index on educating and producing educational content, whether it's like top three things you didn't know about emergency contraception or breaking down our, our medical abortion service, um, demystifying what is true and what isn't true, and having a consistent drumbeat of content so that People are reminded of these things. So, for example, like in our social post that we launched with yesterday, we cited that abortion pills are actually four times safer than taking Advil. And like most people don't know that. It's like, oh, okay. Or that I didn't medication that. abortion, yeah, accounts for over 50% of all abortions in the US. So we're we're continuing to lean in and we'll always fight the fight um, because it's so important to us. And we work very closely with our um, medical providers as well so that we're also establishing ourselves as a medical authority in the space that can be trusted. So it's a combination of, of sort of those two efforts. Yeah. So you weren't always in healthcare marketing, right? You were, you've been at Verizon. Mm-hmm. You've been at various other places. So how does your background inform the way you approach marketing at WIP yeah. and, and these important issues? Yeah, that's a great question. I think if you look at my background, you'll see that I've sort of always gravitated towards disruptor brands, whether it was Lyft um, disrupting the ride share transportation industry really at large, or Artsy disrupting the sort of traditional art market. I, as a marketer, really love the challenge of disruptor brands. And I think my approach to growing a disruptor brand is just that. It's disruptive. Like, I've always believed in um, pushing the envelope and, and making bold moves. I might feel uncomfortable for internal stakeholders, uh, board members, but it's it's always been sort of part of my, my ethos as, as a marketer. Just thinking back to... To the early days of Lyft, right? The pink mustache, um, going door to door to university campuses, signing up drivers. Like 
wherever we could. It's always been for me, like, how do we disrupt in a disruptive way? Because ultimately, I think that's how challenger brands grow. Nobody, I think, gave Lyft a shot, like, thought Lyft could ever compete with the likes of Uber. But we leaned very heavily into brand and sort of carving out that white space from a brand standpoint, right? Like our tagline was, it matters how you get there versus Ubers, which was like, oh, we get you from point A to point B. Um, and everything we did laddered up to, to that vision for who we wanted to be as a brand. So, I mean, Lyft was such a great... I mean, the pink mustache is iconic, right? Like, how do you... Well, I still have one in my head. <laughs> Vintage. <laughs> so how do you, like... The healthcare category is known for just being so dry, right? And, like, lacking creativity. I think, you know, Wisp and some of these other upstarts are doing a much better job, a much more human approach. But do you see the healthcare industry changing the way that it approaches creativity? And where do you think there's still room for improvement? Yeah, I I certainly hope so. Um, I think, to your point, there are a lot of brands in the space now um, that are doing things differently, but also probably an equal number of telehealth brands that are taking a bit of a more traditional approach. And so it's our job to keep pushing on that um, because people want a better way, right? Like the creative that sort of blends in with all the others on Facebook um, or TV, like doesn't reach people in the same way as something that is a bit, maybe a bit more comical, um, that has perhaps a little shock value, whether it's on TikTok or through some of these influencers that we work with. Um, and so that's been our path to growth is, is really leaning into bold creative. And, and I think you'll see that in a number of, of telehealth brands and healthcare brands more broadly, I would hope, um, sort of take note and, and start to, to change things up. If you have worked with, um, with big celebrities and comedians like Winnie Cummings, she did a big campaign last year called similarly to what we're doing, like hashtag just say vagina. So like they're moving in the right direction, but I think the larger players have a slower path to innovation. And it's our job to push them because we are more nimble. Yeah. I always wondered if it was like because of like HIPAA regulations and stuff that it's harder to do. But I do feel like there is – there's like a little bit of like pushing and inspiration is, is probably good overall <laughs> for the industry. Yeah. And like – and pushing um, the big players in the space as well. So like we constantly struggle with ad rejections um, and what we feel like are inconsistent policies. So for example – on TikTok, you can't you can't advertise around herpes as a category, but you can when it comes to like UTIs or yeast infections. So it just like it doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, and so we're we're really also pushing um, big the big three marketing platforms: Google, Facebook, and TikTok on on putting their money where their mouth is, and and also helping to invest in healthcare access because it's as much on them as it is on us. Totally. Couldn't agree more. So it's obviously, it's a very fraught time right now for, for healthcare, 
in general and especially for reproductive health care. What are you, now that you're in this new position, what are you looking to do at WISP in, in the coming months? Obviously, things change quickly, but what are you looking to really focus on and, and drive impact on next? Yeah, so um, I think we're the priority for the next few months will be to lean in really hard um, from that top of the funnel from an education standpoint, whether it's in CTV or the streaming audio buy that we're considering, um, perhaps partnering with a celebrity spokesperson. We really, our goal, not only this year, but um, over the long term, is to establish WISP as a household brand name when it comes to healthcare, right? So anytime a woman experiences some of you know, these intimate issues, like we want to be top of mind for her, right? I got a UTI. Okay. Let me, let me get on WISP and, and get treatment within a matter of hours, as opposed to struggling, right? M- trying to make an appointment with a doctor, then finding time to go, then like also finding time to go to the pharmacy. We, we want to be top of mind for people um, when it comes to sexual and reproductive health as sort of their, their first go-to and become a household name. Like, you know, anyone you ask should know about this. Are you increasing your marketing budget this year? To we, yeah, we are in Q3 have increased our marketing budget. Um, probably will be flat. In Q4 or decrease the laws, you know, Q4 is tougher yeah. uh, for smaller brands like us to compete in, but we'll, we'll be leaning in for more of like a life cycle retention perspective in Q4. But then laying the groundwork and the foundation um, to go big in Q1. Awesome. Well, Monica, thank you so much for chatting with me and thank you for all that you're doing to give people thank access you. to necessary healthcare. Keep fighting the good fight. Thank you. Yes. Hashtag save vagina. Save vagina, people. (laughs) Say it. (laughs) Say it. Awesome. Thanks, Allison. That's all the time we have for this week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Campaign Chemistry on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.